Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Caught, where we talk about all things related to the Dark Tower by... Damn it, every time! Okay. Uh, by hello. Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Caught, where we talk about all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your host, Rachel, and joining me is the work like the woodworking wonder <laughs> dj i mean i've been doing other stuff besides woodworking it's just that that happens to be my current fix yes that's true i mean you are a man of many hobbies and skills oh yeah my new synthesizers are coming in from france gonna make some <laughs> fm sega genesis oh yeah <laughs> all right uh awesome. so Plan for this episode. This week, we're going to be continuing our journey. We're almost done with the Wastelands. We're going to be covering Wastelands, Book 2, Lud, A Heap of Broken Images, Chapter 5, Bridge and City, Sections 31 through 40. Nice. And Finally going to finish this book. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but next episode, we finish the Wastelands. So this is the penultimate episode on this book. So that's pretty exciting. But before we get into that, DJ, can you do me a solid and remind our listeners of our spoiler policy, please? Now, close your eyes for a moment and imagine me working with wood, building a lumber barricade that we will set out in front of your street so that your kids can play on one side and the cars can drive on the other. This barricade is the same thing that we will do for any spoilers. I love how you really painted a picture. I closed my eyes. I went on that journey with you. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So before we actually get into the review, we did get a new iTunes review this week. Yes, I know. It's been so great, right? As I always say, we love it when you guys review us on iTunes. And if you do, we will will read it on the show. This one's short and sweet. This comes from Chief L. Roy. Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) terrible podcast the hosts are great but stop trying to modernize the books way too opinionated and not enough insight into the story one star (laughs) i love it that's great actually (laughs) i was like i cracked up i'm like oh we reading that on the show That, if you're gonna write a, a bad review you know like go all in man like, yes that's good. thank <laughs> I mean, you at, at least they like us they hate our minds and the way we review things but they like us so i'll take it <laughs> well to be fair like this is the the problem with generational awareness is like w- when you grow up yeah. in a certain generation you associate things that you read a certain right. way and if you grow up in a later generation, you don't have the same base references. So yeah. it's completely understandable that if someone started reading these when they were released in, you know, 70s and 80s, they would have a completely different take totally. on a lot of this stuff than yeah. us. Mm-hmm. And I think here's the thing is, I, I think whoever's listening to the show loves The Dark Tower. And it's probably not great when you love something and you don't necessarily share those opinions because of generational reasons probably not fun to hear people critique it but like you know we're reading it well, now not even generational like i get kind of out there I, I will i will admit to that like because i'm visiting this from the perspective of i have all the time in the world to re-listen or reread yeah. this chapter over and over again i re- i get a little conspiracy 
theory-esque, you know, like, I go out there more than I would. If you were just going through it, like, I don't know that I would have gotten as far in for a lot of these little minor minutia things that I do. Yeah. And you're the same way, I love it. Oh, 100%. Are you kidding me? I'm, like, making up all these conspiracy theories. But I honestly, like, I think it's fun. Um, but I, I'm guessing if you've read them a bunch of times, maybe, I mean, it's not for everyone and that's totally fine. I will say though, if people have constructive criticism, I'm so open to that. Like you can send me an re- email at castacottzombiegirls.com. If you have ways that you think that we need to improve, I'm willing to hear that out. It's yeah, definitely. If, yeah. You, if you made it far enough to get that, um, that much, uh, uh value out of, uh, criticizing us, like let, let us, let us know what you want it done. Cause yeah. um, I'm more than happy to uh, uh, visit plot more than um, uh, plot, uh, plotting, plot, I, mean, I don't know, however yeah. that works out. Fine. So thank you, Chief Elroy. I appreciate your your one-star review. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's all of the housekeeping. We can dig right into the review. Where did we leave off, DJ? So where we left off was Roland was on the other side of this mysterious double ceiling door with a giant hatch that is uh, sounding very similar to like either a sub entrance or a space lock. And he has sent Oi through the vents, possibly to his demise to check on Jake. And we cut to Jake again. Mm -hmm. Who is, I I guess, like I wasn't getting this severe thirst out of Jake earlier but suddenly jake is the thirstiest he's ever been and <laughs> i mean he did so... run across a city like if i run across the house i'm like i'm perched <laughs> <laughs> i mean that, that that's a legitimate uh argument and he, he has been like <laughs> smacked around a bit and like yeah. we don't really know how far gasher actually hauled him through Choked. this area so you know jake's parched and He's he's basically begging for, you know, a nice glass of water. And the TikTok man's like, yeah, yeah, of course, uh, you know, uh, minions, bring me some water. And and so they, they bring some water and like, you know, there's the, the regular TikTok man banter of him, like calling his uh, his uh, subpar staff like fat and stupid and, and whatever. And they bring him the water and he's like, oh, you like this, Jake? Ah, well, why don't you tell me about dipole circuits? And, of course, like, Jake doesn't know squat about dipole circuits. He uh, knows that his watch runs on a battery. But the TikTok man doesn't know that. And mm-hmm. so it becomes this, like, standoff where the TikTok man, like, whacks him and then spits water in his face and, like, intimidates him. And Jake is, like, in this, this like, kind of cowering zone where the TikTok man thinks that Jake knows about all of these dipole computers that are under the city and that he's he's basically messing around with him to try and um stall or uh pretend like he doesn't know as much and meantime uh he's looking up in the ducks because he did notice oi's uh cute little eyes up there mm-hmm. and at the same time roland's on the other side of the door like psychically mind blasting jake and oi finally uh uh is kind of like he's kind of ready to spring and jake hears the psychic blast from roland and it's basically like a statement for jake to get closer to where the door opening button is and possibly to distract the folks in the room 
And so Jake uses this opportunity to call out this Gasher. so great. I love and, this moment. And his little, uh, his little note that he couldn't actually read by himself. And of course, poor Hoot, his buddy, his, his, his friend former of many love. years. Who, <laughs> his yeah, former which, lover, like, yes. <laughs> yeah, if I assume they're alluding to like lovers almost is yes. what it sounded like to me. Um, but uh, he basically like Jake spills the beans on that and completely changes the direction of the subject. And, and you know, the, the meantime, we also get that um, the TikTok man maybe does have a little bit of the shine that Jake and uh, um, the rest of the group have because it, there's a statement in there where when Jake hears that blast from Roland, like he, the TikTok man picks up on it. He's like, mm. I know you're thinking of something. What is it? And then Jake lays on this, you know, false, not false narrative, but like distractive narrative about yes. the, uh, the note and the password and who helping him and like completely distracts the room uh, uh, from this. And then, uh, Oi, and this is actually one of the, the greatest bits, like Oi heroically, like I know. while they're distracted, flies out of the vet. And then we have this like gorish bit where uh, the TikTok man's eye basically is plopped out of his face and like dribbles down his cheek like jelly. Mm-hmm. And scratches the crap out of him, of course. And, and then, like, always, like, caught up in the battle. And, like, chaos Ugh. starts to ensue. Jake gets gun, so on and so forth. But, As a uh, lover of small dogs, with a description of him being twisted, uh, hard for you to read. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Moving forward. So, Rachel, do you have any uh, comments on that before I continue to jump forward? Uh, I don't see I any mean, stars. Not really, except for just... Like thinking about what kind of villain TikTok man is and just how we see kind of how he can switch gears so fast. He's so mercurial and so unpredictable that he, I mean, it's a different kind of fear that he instills as, as a villain, but it also exposes weakness, you know, like you do really see that he, as much as he's able to like wield this, this like power and this fear at the same time, there is an underlying ignorance and uh, uncontrolled, unchecked rage. And it's part of what allows Jake to be able to shift the power dynamic so effectively, which, you know, I think it's it's interesting to see that our villain has some some flaws. It's part of what makes him an interesting and complex villain. There's uh, one thing I skated over, and it actually, like, uh, bolsters your uh, uh, ignorant villain thing is... Yeah. Uh, he he asks Jake, you know, whether he's a Nazi or not. Yeah. And and Jake says, you know, that he's an American. And like the TikTok man basically, you know, wants to know what, what an American is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is but, in interesting because we know that at one point that information was very readily available because, I mean, Blaine knows about New York. Yeah. So it's, Yeah. I mean, as much as he knows and is, has contact with all kinds of things that are coming from American culture, at the same time, that knowledge is lost. Yeah, and it, it's extra weird because, like, didn't quite grasp what a Nazi actually meant to these folks other than a word. Yeah. Like, a, a name for a group, but not necessarily, like, a poignant name or a name that made any sense. Right. I mean, like, they just know it because of the plane and the, like, clearly they've had some contact with Nazis. Because there's the plane, there's the gun. Some Nazi flew through the a rift somewhere. Well, and, and in an alternate um, 
DJ Fever Dream Theory. Ah, here we go. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, I was like thinking about the horrific nature of of the grays and the pubes and their mm. treatment of each other. And you're almost like if there was a dictator somehow. Yeah. We are you're you know, you're just a stone's throw away from concentration camps and that sort of thing because the devastation and uh lack of caring for human life from both groups yeah. is is so up front and a face yeah i mean what we learn in this section is basically lud is one giant death cult but that, that we're getting ahead of ourselves there oh man yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's not talk Grim. about the stamping machine quite yet oh my god see part of me is just like i want to see this in a movie so bad but then another part of me is like they, they would not have the balls to throw the stamping machine in there like you need <laughs> anime for the stamping machine oh gosh yeah that's like <laughs> heavy metal ter- uh, territory there like twisted metal or something yeah um <laughs> Okay, so back to this story. Basically, uh, Roland's outside the door. Um, he feels the action start by a break in the psychic link between him and Jake. Yeah. And here's Jake kind of scream for Oi. And yeah. when he screams for Oi, it, like, it basically catches the entire group inside off kilter. And they sort of react late to it. Um, there's a little bit of struggle. Uh, Jake... And I'm just rolling into the next section because that bit's so short. But yeah, uh, that's fine. Um, Jake basically like struggles, gets a gun, is bantering back and forth. Uh, meanwhile, we have uh, threats um, that uh, Jake will get his just dessert for revealing uh, Hoot and uh, Gasher's um, and note sharing mm-hmm. s- stuff. And then the TikTok man is like, Yelling at Jake, there's um, basically a fight ensues. Jake manages to get his hands on a gun, uh, but the gun doesn't fire. And then we have Roland break into the room. And, and the reason I'm kind of like uh, just random statementing this is because it's basically a, a CF of action going on <laughs> continuously. From Jake's point of view, he gets a gun, tries to get to the throne, Battles with the TikTok man, eventually shoots him and thinks he's killed him, but actually is like just knocked a flap of, of skin off of his head. Yikes. Roland comes in blasting after the doors open, but we kind of sort of find out that the earlier need for Blaine to get um, more riddles has led him on his own internal uh, sort of um, security cam search of Roland and Jake. Yeah. And so Roland doesn't get in via Jake's hands. He actually gets in via Blaine's hands yeah. into that room. Mm-hmm. And so from Roland's perspective, he's just like blasted the crap out of everybody. I'm just left thinking and right. of that meme of Danny DeVito where he's like, and so it starts blasting. Have you seen yeah, this? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> And so, like, you basically, like, this whole section is just, like, Roland shoots this guy. Here's a description of the guy. He, he gets shot. Here's a description of this guy. He gets shot. And then, like, Jake battles with this guy, shoots him. And, like, uh, is he dead? Well, yeah, you know, then Roland and Jake, like, discuss whether the TikTok man's dead. And Jake, as a newer, newer gunslinger, doesn't realize that you could shoot someone in the head but graze their skull as opposed to, yeah. like, kill them. And so he tells Roland I mean, that he's... I mean, it's a fair bet. You shoot somebody in the head at point-blank range, like, 
we're done. But no, not not when you have the big old thick skull like a quick. Not if you have giant blood in you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Oi, luckily, like during this time, is also having his own epic battle and gets tossed around and, and twisted and so on, but manages to basically make it out intact. Like he has a small little battle with Gasher, and uh, luckily he doesn't bite Gasher on any of his flesh wounds and get yeah. diseased. Yeah. Um, uh, ends up chewing on his boot a little bit and knocked around. Uh, Jake likewise gets knocked around a bit, and the TikTok man takes the most of the knocking. And most of his minions also kind of basically just get picked off um, one by one. And then once the room, you know, imagine this is the boss level. The room is cleared. Well, then, like, the alarms go off. Mm. And and people, the, the greys start just, like, wandering into the room from other portions of this uh, much larger labyrinth of grey hangout territory. And they're confused as as much as Roland is about it. And Roland kind of like he's he's passive, more passive than I would have expected. Um, from Roland. I mean, he takes out he, like there's two people, Hoots and Copper. And what's her name? Go running away, and he's like, "No time for chivalry," and shoots them in the back. But when Tilly comes in and asks for mercy, he's like, "Yeah, scram!" But I don't want to see you again. Yep. Um, and he lets kind of like other passersby kind of wander through. Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> well, I guess Blaine kind of like burns. Blaine kind of takes so. care of that problem. But before we get too far ahead, I just want to back up one little tiny bit and just there's like a little character stuff with Jake in this his fight with Talk Man, where he sees Oi jump out of the grate and you know he's like screams no, and whereas I think normal little kids might like freeze or run and try to grab the TikTok man he runs for the gun and has the wherewithal to not only shoot at the TikTok man and hit him in the leg but he knows to shoot low which comes probably from practice shooting with with Roland but also just like those gunslinger in, instincts but at the same time he still is a little kid like and you see that in the way that he after he shoots him once he can't shoot him again and he drops the gun and his priorities are with Oi, right? And so I just think we have this this kind of great mix of things that are, you can see the the budding gunslinger in him, but also the child that he is. Like there's mm-hmm. a part where he, when he, he's already shot all the, the, the bullets out of the machine gun and doesn't realize it. And he's like, goodbye, Tiki, which is such a great line. Obviously he ends up not having any bullets, but still like that cold hearted, thing coming from a little kid show it it calls back to that internal dialogue that he was having as they were going into the sewers and he's like wow it doesn't take much for you to go from being a kid to being like i'm going to kill someone and we saw the proof of that in this scene where he actually when he had to he was able to shoot and kill someone but still we he still maintains that certain degree of innocence and naivety that just comes with being a kid I actually have a question. Do you feel like okay? So the TikTok man, we have we're not done with him yet. But what about Gasher? How do you feel about Gasher's demise? Do you feel like he got what he deserved, or was that way too easy for him to go out and for not even for it to be Jake to be able to take him out? What do you think? I'm the I'm in the second opinion. Yeah, like, he got a quick and easy release. Is just right? bam and you're done. Uh, so I, I felt like it wasn't for as. For as I wanted to see him suffer a, a little bit. Yeah. 
you're like, you know, you deserve to like get kneecapped and then like fall down a pit and then, you know, be at the bottom of the pit and slowly starving to death. Cause you're just a really rotten folk. I mean, like, I'm kind of feeling like, like TikTok man after he gets his eyes scraped out and he's like, Ooh, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer, Coley. That was like my attitude toward gush- Gasher. I wanted to see him. I wanted to see Gasher <laughs> turn into a Gusher. But whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Whatever. He's gone. We're we're done with him. We're moving on. But I, there was a little part of me that was like, that was it. I wanted to see a little, a little more drawn out death. But. Well, uh, so a little bit of that is like, and this kind of supports my earlier theory of the fact that uh, um, the gunslingers are like the justice of that world and time is that mm-hmm. Roland isn't there to dish out suffering and yeah, penance. that's fair. He's there to like make a clean, clear, decisive decision. Like guilty, innocent, guilty, innocent, and you could see that in the choices. Like those other two, like they were guilty enough. Shot yeah. done. And then the other, uh, Tilly, she comes running by. Like, well, she's probably guilty, but not so much that she deserves instant judgment. Get out of here. But you know, right? Caveat is you come back and you're done. Mm-hmm. Well, and and. I I think that you have to kill Gasher the way he did simply because that's how a gunslinger operates yeah. under the justice code. Mm-hmm. No, I and think so you're there, right. I think you're right. I can't imagine a, a Dark Tower series where Roland was indiscriminately issuing out judgments that involved like long drawn out deaths that's true i mean it's what separates the gunslingers from the not gunslingers i i i totally like i wish circumstances had led to a little bit more drawn out situation mm-hmm. um but yeah, definitely. at the same time and- it's not i mean even roland himself kind of has a moment like where he's just like "Ooh, i wish i could kill him again when he's like looking at poor beat up jake and i'm like same dude same yep yep uh, I I think it's it's okay. That's how it should be. Yeah, but I agree. Like you do. Like when you start to really dislike a character in any book. Yeah, you, you kind of it's that weird people thing that happens. That human nature where you're like you almost want to revel in Get a their horrible, awful <laughs> disgu- dis- destruction, and then yeah. you want to like eat popcorn while you do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, so th- then we find out that like well, I mean, we we suspect that uh, uh, Roland got in via uh, Blaine's help, and then we actually find out that in fact that was the case. Um, there's like a a floating orb type of thing hanging from the ceiling, I guess. That's like a, a security well, camera it start, SI. It starts. It just starts with speakers, right? Like it. Yeah. It, he calls out to him, and then later the little like floating orb comes out. Yeah, so they they uh, Blaine starts like asking him questions, like, "Are you, you know, Roland of Gilead? Are you Jake of New York?" Mm-hmm. They kind of have a back and forth. <laughs> One gray like randomly runs into the room, and <laughs> Blaine like opens up a stove and flays him. Yeah, and just like burns him to death, and and then is like, "Well, you know, it was kind of rude that he um he interrupted us mm-hmm. when we were having a conversation." <laughs> and, and it's it's kind of a a fun moment because it's almost like Joker mad, yeah. You know, where like there's a logic to the madness that you may not understand, but like the person dishing out said logic will adhere to 
um, st- strongly. Mm-hmm. And, and Roland actually, like, as they're talking, uses this against him. Like, um, he asks for a, a riddle, and uh, Roland gives him one. It's, uh, oh, it's, I, I don't remember all of the words. It's Cuthred's favorite. And, and the answer is nothing, yeah. And it's it's more um, high speech than that, so we are really uh, botching Something that. about God and old Splitfoot, but I can't quite remember. I can't remember yeah, it all. I did not have time to Google old Splitfoot. So uh, it's I, the I, devil. Okay. Oh, oh, because of the hoof. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so so uh, Blaine actually thinks on that for a minute. He's like, he kind of gets a taste of the heroin. He's like, yeah, oh, that's, a, that's a good one. You, hey, hey, Jake, you got that? Uh, you got that riddle book in your bag? And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jake freaks out for a second. And Roland, like, he, like, does the sly roll and, like, looks over. And he's like, got you, buddy. And, like, rolls out his backpack. He's like, I adjusted the straps. And they have, like, a moment where you're like, well, that's that was odd. Like, mm-hmm. And Jake, like basically breaks down and is like you didn't let me fall this time thanks yeah. roland you know and then this kind of uh harkens back to what you were saying in the previous episode um where we have basically gone full circle like yes. uh, roland has like an internal moment where he mm-hmm. remembers jake uh bringing him a t-shirt soaked with water to to give him water and like now roland is basically been in that same and opposite role mm-hmm. with Jake, which um you know uh possibly foreshadowing or whatever but it it's interesting because we've basically gone a full circle, yes, I mean it's basically he's gotten a second chance, and this time he gets it right, you know he doesn't let Jake fall, and they have this kind of sweet moment that we'll we'll get into another sweet moment they have coming up but yeah, I mean, it, it, the, like you said, this he, Roland has specifically has this deja vu of when he got water from Jake at the way station, and mm-hmm. and like how we talked about history not repeating but rhyming. Like, there's some elements that are different, but at the same time, the dynamic is the same, and it's sort of like they broke the universe when he made the wrong mistake, and this sort of feels like it's all coming together. It, for, it sort of feels like this little end cap moment on what has been going on since the gunslinger like we finally have resolved an event in the gunslinger even pulling him through the world all of those things they were they while they were definitely big moments in this process it wasn't until this kind of where he saves jake because this is the first time that roland's actually being tested in the case of pulling jake through the world he also is feeling the same effects as jake is Whereas here, this is like a true test of his promise and uh, whether or not he has changed. And they have this character moment together that you finally, cl- and we can close the chapter on that mistake that he, that like fatal error that he made in the first book. So uh, continuing on, uh, basically like they, they answer the riddle. Blaine answers the riddle, asks about more riddles. Like, Roland says, well, we don't have time for that right now. But, uh, uh, you know, Jake has the book. Jake is kind of smart and witty in this moment. And he says, like, you know, uh, I do have the book. And you could take it from me, but that would be rude as well, using, like, Blaine logic against Blaine. And Blaine's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, that makes sense. Like, yeah. And and then uh, he takes it to the next level by saying, you know, like, I have this riddle book, but all of the riddles are in my head. You know, all the answers to them. Mm-hmm. 
And so, like, that's another incentive for Blaine to, like, get them out of there. So then Blaine kind of sends what I imagine is an autonomous drone. Yeah. Like a a bubbly type, a circle drone thing. Mm-hmm. And it kind of floats in and then, like, starts floating along. And then Roland and Jake kind of run and rush to get on it somehow. Mm-hmm. No, no, no they, I, they follow it. It's just sort of like a, a floating drone for them to follow. Okay, well, I thought they, I remembered them like kind of running to that's catch to get up and on then... a belt that's sort of like a conveyor oh, okay. belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, before we go to, I do love this moment where after the, he's killed the guy for coming in and interrupting him, he's like, "That was very rude." And they sort of have this yeah. like battle of wits, and you know, Roland keeps his cool, of course. And there's a moment where Little Blaine speaks up, and Jake starts to ask about it, and Roland instinctively shushes him. But I do love that we learn that Blaine, uh, in addition to having this need for riddles, kind of has a, um, a like a twisted morality. Um, I don't know if morality is like code, a twisted code. Well, a moral of, code because yeah. like, it's okay to kill somebody if they're rude. Right. But it's right. not okay to be rude. So ergo, uh, I will not kill you if the action would be in a rude manner. Exactly. And Roland like immediately exploits it, which I think is, it's just like a really great Roland moment here where remember when Roland was like the dumb force of nature, this is again, another example of how Roland has evolved. And now he's pretty strategic. He's pretty clever. And, and I like how he kind of twists this back on Blaine and Jake tells him you can't just kill him because he he has the answers in his head that the pages of the book have been ripped out but he knows the answers and yes the pages have been ripped out but he doesn't actually know the answers and i was thinking about how blaine is someone who has a lie detector basically so the question is he doesn't call him on it so does that mean that jake effectively lied or that he just hasn't called him on it yet i I don't know did he get away with it i guess i'm wondering well we'll find out uh, so um we know that uh, Blaine has a lie detector in the cradle. Right. But the cradle's like where all of his sensors are. You think he only can have it in the cradle? Okay. Um, is, is there so, foreknowledge uh, that I don't know about that is No, no, okay. I don't want to get I don't want to get like super uh engineery. But okay. um they like basically Stephen King sciences this at the beginning. Uh-huh. Um by saying like oh, with all these sensors I have here like mm. I know that the air pressure has changed, your heart rhythm, blah blah blah, all these things. Okay, no, oh, no problem. Okay. So now we're out in a tunnel that's away from the main area where Got he it. would have all these sensors. So there's likely a reason why Blaine only starts with speakers is because in the area he only has a couple of cameras and some I speakers laying around. See what you're saying? Okay, that explains. And it. so okay. then he sends a drone out that direction to to guide them back Mm -hmm. in well the drone you know as a mini version of blaine or a uh you know body part so to speak you know still cannot by definition have the the array of sensors that the main train got it the sensors are on the train cradle has yeah exactly so the feeling i got from that was not that well twofold the the first one is that jake didn't actually lie he just kind of alluded to a thing i mean if you know all the words in the english language like somewhere oh, in your head the technicality okay okay yeah so that one's like got you on the technicality and then 
the other thing is basically the science wand of like, well, we yeah, have I buy that. All the sensors. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of get that like slyness feeling between Roland and Jake in that moment too. when they're both taking advantage of the uh, politeness aspect and the like, whether this is. Yeah, rude or not. that's true. Okay. Fair enough. At I, least I that's think how you sold, I interpret You it. sold me on, honestly, you sold me on the sensors. Cause of course they would be on the train themselves. It's not the cradle that has the sensors. It's Blaine himself. That makes sense to me. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, what else before I move on? The perspective sort of pulls back for one of these sections where it's not a first-person perspective, but rather like um, the narrator view of Ludd itself. And we get a little backstory about this alarm um, that went off that it's like so loud that it's physically painful that we learn was originally created in order to be a warning for an aerial raid, but it has not ran, like it has not gone off in a thousand years. Thousands of years. And when it goes off, basically <laughs> the city goes crazy. The guy that runs into the kitchen is talking about the city be on, being on fire, but that's because both the pubes and the grays have taken this sound to be a sign of just be the apocalypse is upon them that they've been dreading forever. Like basically this is their rapture, right? And the other thing that we find out is there's just, there's this moment where where we get a little story, a little background on on Blaine himself, or at least some internal stuff about Blaine that I thought was really interesting. It talks about how Blaine has been in the city slowly going mad for hundreds of years. Even like when he dreams now, he dreams these like bizarre, more increasingly insane dreams. And he probably would have gone on for 800 more years doing just that, except for that he has been awoken by Roland and his gang. And they talk about how the unthinkable machinery that maintained the beams has weakened. And yet this insane and inhuman intelligence continues to exist and has been awoken and specifically references something that we have returned to over and over again. Basically that now that he is awake, he is moving like as a, a bodiless ghost through the halls of the dead and the rooms of ruin. And so we get, even though there's been all of these metaphorical versions of that and potentially other examples of that, like in the Dutch Hill House, they specifically reference the world that Blaine inhabits, like his servers, all of those things as the like the halls of the dead and the room of the ruins. And it links it to this, I think our very first mention of the machinery that maintains the beams. So I thought that was worth mentioning, but also it made me wonder if when Eddie actually put his ear to the machine, was it Blaine that was whispering to him? Where did he come up with the same exact dialogue? That's interesting. What was he hearing? Yeah. And Um, is Blaine a part of this unthinkable machinery that maintains the beams? Or is that, is the mention of it just meant to say that he's like outlived it? I just thought it was an, I don't totally understand why those two things were said together. And I was wondering if you had a take on that. I don't. And you caught me off guard there. I was, I did not quite pick up as much subtlety as you did. That's okay. So on the machinery thing that you're talking about. Yes. One other aspect that did catch me. And I did want to talk about was we get the reference to Jake's poems, mm-hmm. you know, his original Blaine poem, but then also Blaine's brain and like Roland for the first time, like is sort of recognizing technology mm-hmm. and like looks around as they're traveling through this. Um, what I imagine is like a giant server room. Yeah. 
And like Roland realizes that they're likely in the brain of Blaine. Yes. And later on, um, or, or earlier on, I guess, uh, as Blaine is like threatening Eddie and Susanna with um, answering this riddle, like Blaine is releasing, you know, toxic gases into the city mm-hmm. to, and, and I'm jumping around a little bit, but the reason I wanted to bring those two moments together is because he has the power apparently to unleash like weapons of destruction. Yeah. But he doesn't want to do that because if he destroys the city, he destroys himself. Right. And so like, it really is Blaine's brain in this like cavern mm-hmm. of computer parts that are just like hanging out there. So, uh, and then when you contrast that between the technologies that run the beam and, you know, Shardick and these other characters, like it's just another, um, kind of rotting technological mess of psychosis in the machine. That yeah. is, and, and the fun part is, is like when they're doing that sort of aerial view of what's going on in LUD and Jake's seeing some of these horrific things, like the stamping machine we alluded to earlier, yes. where a guy with like a yellow um, bandana is basically like standing at the end of the line gently picking people up and dropping them into like a machine press that squishes them into nothing and then they fall through the other side and people aren't panicking or running they're just like patiently waiting in line to to have their turn at the machine and and then and the reason i bring that up is because we then get the perspective of the uh pubes which always believe that the machine was down there ready to come up and destroy them all. And that the self uh, run narrator is like, and they were probably closer to the truth. Well, that's what I, that's the other thing is I love about this section that, that we take this like 400 foot view of it is because I remember way back at the speaking ring when we first start hearing the drums and I was like, God, this feels so Lovecraftian. Like it reminded Mm -hmm. me of parts in the call of Cthulhu where they hear the drums in the, in the, the forest or the jungle and then they go in and they find this basically like this death cult worshiping the idol of cthulhu right and i mm-hmm. i kind of like had set that aside but really if you think about it like this moment really pays off the lovecraft vibe of that that initial moment with the drums which to me had kind of fallen on the to the wayside of not being as interesting as i had intentionally thought they might be but if you think about it, like this, the the pubes and the greys have just basically been enacting this like death cult. It's almost like a this ritualistic murder that's been taking place in the city for hundreds of years, all surrounding this what Blaine is essentially a technological elder god. That when he awakens it, all of these people in, they go mad. They go mad in the way that is so common in cosmic horror and begin killing themselves and and committing these mass suicides and going mad as this this evil awakens but then the other thing is is that blaine is so ambivalent towards the people he doesn't value them in any way they don't matter to him one way or the other they're not that interesting to him so they can be disposed and that is also extremely lovecraftian just the total ambivalence that the cosmos has towards mankind and blaine definitely embodies that and so i i thought this was a great sort of techno lovecraft moment in this in the book <laughs> and as a total cosmic core lover I, I was like 
yes, this is amazing. Even though it's super messed up, like it, it, it is all of the elements of Lovecraft, but mm, through this different prism. Gr- yeah. It's super gruesome. Like yeah. people jumping off of buildings, Bridget, we have the stamping yeah. machine. Mm. We have like be- people lighting their own beds on fire in the rooms that they're in. It's yeah. just like, but I mean, it's if something th- out of the mouth of madness. Exactly. And if you think about it, like for a thousand, for a thousand years, people have been committing ritualistic murders um, because they live in fear and superstition of the tech below both the pubes. I mean, the pubes who have like a very superstitious take on it, as we see the grays also live in fear, but it's more just like a There's lack of almost understanding. Like a, the psychosis of like a, a pending attack. Exactly. And, but, and at the end of the day, the result is the same. It doesn't matter if you're pube or you're gray. If this, you know, when this happens, they all respond the same because in a way they've all been a part of the same death cult all this time. Well, and there's a moment too where, um, like when Jake's watching the screens and like seeing all these horrific acts, Roland's like, look away, look yeah. away. He's like, before Trying to protect, you pity. like a tiny little bit of his, his innocence. Well, not even, I mean that too, but also like the bit about, uh, Roland's like, before you pity these folks. Mm-hmm. You know, remember that they were just as happy to like murder you where you stood. Yeah. Just you know, hours ago, moments ago, whatever. And that even though like way uh, Blaine is like whipping them up into this like fervor of craziness mm-hmm. and death and destruction, like they're not good people, and they're actually just like happy to cast away their lives of living on the corpses of their father's empire. Which yeah. is like a really, and I'm not saying that quite the way Roland said it, but it's like basically a statement that like these people know that they have basically been siphoning off of the the people of the past and like have no idea or understanding of what they're living on. And it brings you to almost like those moments from some of the post-apocalyptic movies of that time frame and cartoons of that time frame where like, uh, an entire society was living like weird future past cavemen because <laughs> yeah. they don't understand the all the things around them like they don't know how a car works or like how you know technology turns on or whatever yeah and they're left to like i push this button and a thing happens oh be the giant machine you know yeah right because like what is it like science is just basically or magic is just science that you don't understand yet exactly yeah mm-hmm yeah, definitely. Uh, so Roland and, and Jake have like traversed th- through this uh, um, uh, subterranean like brain field that is Blaine, uh, computer banks and so on. And like they pop out the other side, enter the cradle. Uh, Eddie and Susanna are ecstatic. Like we find out that, you know, they actually feared for their lives and that they weren't going to make it. Uh, there's pats on the backs, hugs, you know, the whole nine yards. And like, uh, meanwhile, like Blaine is still like counting down and the threat of this riddle is hanging over their head. And, and Blaine like uh, explains like, you know, um, and, and we just finished like watching a lot of these like crazy things happen with the smashing machines and so on. And, and, and Jake's like, why anything but that? We'll tell you as many riddles as you want, you know. And, and Blaine, like, kind of calmly is like, you know, it's, it's not like they were enjoying the works of Michelangelo, right? And, and, and it's sort of like he's like kind of being an ass, but 
but also being very poignant in that like their society has devolved so much that art basically means nothing to them Mm -hmm. and so he as a person who enjoys riddles or I, I, I guess like as Roland says, like we keep referring to him as a person, but he's not a person. He's mm-hmm. a train. Um, as an art in- enthusiast, uh, these folks are not generating any kind of new creative or interesting thing. Yeah. This other is also, than destruction. also a little Easter egg. Um, he's actually kind of riffing on another quote from another T.S. Eliot poem. Oh, yeah, good catch. Yeah, so it comes from the love uh, love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. The line in the poem itself is, in the room, the women come and go, talking of Michelangelo. The poem itself is kind of about a man who's now in middle age and uh, was in love with a woman but never had the guts to, like, say anything. And so now he's kind of, like, filled with regret as he's, he's aged he, that he didn't, like... He didn't take the chance when he had. So I don't know that it specifically, um, aside from just being another T.S. Eliot poem, it has specific um, resonance in this part, but it is definitely taken from, like, I do think it's like a reference to T.S. Eliot himself, you know? Ah, okay. Good yeah. catch. Yeah. There, There's also, um, he kind of uh, has another little rhymey bit Blaine does when Tough he's talking titty, about- said the kitty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I I couldn't find anything on that. Is that something I should know that I don't? I mean, I think we're trying that. Uh, the- or is that just him being like fun and riddly? I think yeah. I think we're kind of seeing how flippant he is and how um, like he makes these juvenile jokes after a you know in response to essentially committing a genocide. Um, so I think it's more just giving you an idea that he is insane and cruel and. That's something that um, repeats throughout all of the villain interactions. And there's one more we'll get to in a minute. But, like, all of them mix this menace with jovality. That is, it's an interesting, it, it repeats with all three of our villains in this section. You murder folks and you're like, boys will be boys. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, the other thing is, is this reunion. Do we want to talk about the reunion with, with our group? It was so, like, it was actually really touching, I thought. Yeah, it was. Like, uh, Eddie got super emotional, like, Pat rolling on the back. There's Juvial uh, screams. Uh, Susanna asks Jake how he's doing, like, because Jake looks like he's in bad shape. They have, like, these touching interactions. And, and you know, it's hard to to sit down and narrate this well, out loud because it's like just a lot of like yeah really like little little things that you know, jake Susanna, and roland and eddie all as a group do that you haven't seen them do right with each other previously right. and it's it, from like a normal human's perspective like yeah i pat people on the shoulder all the time that's the thing i do but like you've never really seen these guys exactly do that sort of thing so to describe it seems somewhat trivial but in it's the context a big of the group it's moment. very yeah yeah exactly it's a very big move in their relationship yeah i mean like before they went into lud we were starting to see hints of the way that our quartet was like growing to care about each other you know but it was very tentative they're still filling out their boundaries yes and- exactly so when they see each other and there's just such pure joy and love exchanged between all five of one, two, three, four, 
four or five, including <laughs> Oi of them. Well, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, you know, you see that it's no longer, they're no longer just a group of people with a shared agenda. There is real familial love here. Especially in that moment with Eddie and Roland, it's particularly poignant because if you remember in the moments leading up to them getting on the bridge, there had been this rocky sort of tension between them that had been growing and getting increasingly problematic. And I was kind of like, they need to figure this out or this could be, this could really divide the group in a way that would be detrimental to the overall plan here. And being separated in this, it was like one of those things like you don't know what you got till it's gone. So for them to come back together and have like a true warm exchange, not only does like Roland remark on like, hey, this guy used to want to slit my throat with my own freaking knife. Look how far Mm -hmm. we've come. But we remember just how recently they were having like really serious problems and like there was massive mistrust between the two of them. And so seeing that kind of resolved this way, or at least for now resolved that way was really great. The other thing that I think is easy to overlook is the moment between Jake and Susanna where she like, grabs him and kisses him all over his face and like you think oh that's cute it's a a little kid that's how you treat a little kid but you have to remember that this is probably the first time in jake's entire life where he's had family members who were affectionate and protective and loyal and demonstrative in their affections and so for a lonely kid like jake this must have been revelatory and a a meaningful exchange and it was kind of like he finally got the family that he always wanted and this like idea of an adopted family is very beautiful. I love this and I'm just glad I'm I mean, I know we need to have tension in the group for dramatic reasons and for narrative reasons, but having this moment where like everybody just really connected was as someone who loves each of these characters was like a really great moment. I kind of like I thought about it, but in it, it, I just it's hard to like really describe them because when you hear moments, you just think they're like regular moments unless you con- contextualize them. So exactly. That's why I wanted it. to do that. I wanted to just like, stop me like, wait a minute. This is a big deal. Yes, this is an expected outcome of seeing them, but you put it in the context of all of the interdynamics and like the histories that they, these people have mm-hmm. it's actually a much bigger deal than you would you would necessarily think at, at the first glance also there's a so, moment underground before they've come up the escalator where jake again thanks him for saving him like, mm-hmm. and roland wraps his arm around him it's so fatherly if you think about the last time they were emerging from under the mountain this scene is this scene where he's holding him and hugging him is the mere scene to when he lets him drop off the trestle. Um, and then he goes after the man in black. I mean, and the fact that this is all followed by a man in black moment is just such perfect symmetry. But again, I'm ahead of myself. I had come. OK, so uh, b- before we leave the gang, uh, Blaine is like heckling them. And basically, like, letting him know that there's biochemical weapons near them that he's planning on releasing. They're gonna, they're gonna die. Oh, yeah. And by the way, um, they're a little bit painful, you know, FYI. Yeah, right. Um, uh, so, you know, you will suffer on your way down. And then, like, Blaine also explains the thing I brought up earlier is that uh, um, I couldn't very well nuke the place because my uh, you want to get to your destination, right? You know? Right. And so that implies that uh, Blaine's brain is basically stationary there at the cradle mm-hmm. or in that housing and not in the physical train itself. So that that's an extra interesting thing, like the city mm, of Lud. I didn't think about that. Yeah, so if you if you go from that narrative, you have basically accepted the fact that the city of Lud is Blaine's 
body and brain. So is he gonna that, when he leaves? Does he leave like the majority of his brain behind? I assumed it was some sort of like link. Okay, but I don't I don't know. I guess so. Um, so like that's why he did the the chemical weapons, right? Because yeah, and so the and Blaine sense. actually like explains like well if you want to go anywhere like I, if I blew this place up like we wouldn't be able to go anywhere, which right. to me meant that like. He needed nav computers or, you know, whatever's there to run and operate, Right. which to me, like, again, and, and I wanted the reason I wanted to s- stop and talk about this is because Blaine's gone crazy. But like, if you think of Ludd as Blaine's body, then Blaine has been like infected with rot for years and years. And Blaine's casualness about blowing up the city by basically chemically murdering all of the folks that are there is almost like a body cleanse. Mm. And so like he's going to get high, but he's also cleansing his body. He's going to get high on real sauce, but he's also <laughs> going to also going to like cleanse his entire body of right. of all of the malice and menace that has been gathering up in the in the corners and sections. So there's also something I, I can say here, but it requires foreknowledge. Hmm. Yeah, I know, and I—that's why I, I'm hesitant to dive too. Skip deep ahead into that ten seconds, everybody. Skip, skip, skip. Here's your chance. Go skip. Go skip. <laughs> it, okay, so here's where the spoilers start. Now, I was just thinking about how, like, when people know that they're planning to commit suicide and they'll clean house. Yep. This is sort of him. I mean, I don't think that he has any sort of altruistic reasons why he's doing this. I mean, he's committing genocide. But, you know, at the same time, like, it kind of ha- it has that feel to it of someone who's like, yeah. well, let me clean up all of my outstanding business before I go and end things. Yeah, definitely. Okay. End- yeah, that's actually, that that wraps around my theory pretty well. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, end spoilers. You're safe uh, That's now. what I was, I was, <laughs> I was trying to avoid that bit, so. <laughs> Okay, so basically the gang's left off with, like, this riddle dilemma, and they can't get on the train, and the countdown's ticking. And and speaking of ticking, let's cut to the TikTok man (laughs) who turns out, because Jake is not a extra pro gunslinger, actually suffered a wound but not a fatal blow to the cranium. And so the TikTok man... Is like in this weird memory palace of his brain, mm-hmm. sort of reliving this moment that is not unsimilar to the crushing machine that smashes bodies of the uh, guy who was standing in line dropping folks into the body crusher, um, where he's at this wonderful, excellent tasting apple cider place. Which, Where... by the way, made me want apple cider hella bad. Yeah, it sounded so I like, good. <laughs> I was like, oh, I could go for some hard cider right okay. now. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so, like, uh, he's he's basically, like, back to younger self with his father at this um, apple cider press. And it's a strange, like... Of course, we're in Ludd sort of place where one guy runs the machine and the machine drops an apple in mm-hmm. and TikTok, TikTok goes into great detail to describe how the machine like squishes the juices out of these apples 
into the cider and it becomes the best cider ever. And that the workers are staged in a threesome where one person runs the machine, the other one fills the bottles, and another <laughs> one whacks the guy on the head oh if he God. misfills or spills the bottles. That is the and, most blood business. Yeah, and when you hear that, you're like, oh, so we're basically in like pre-lud getting there lud yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah like they've already gotten you know this is sort of like uh um what's the steampunk underwater video game uh bioshock bioshock it's sort of like the happy version of bioshock where like they started out with a utopia and then like weirder things kept creeping in until yep. utopia turned into like lud as it is today and with this description of the apple cider scene it it, it is that it's it's like mm-hmm. almost utopia with this wonderful great tasting cider that's made by you know people hauling apples in and then you got a guy whose job it is to whack the dude on the head if he doesn't do things right <laughs> no. and it's like well we're starting to venture off into the uh, murder zone here you're Jeez. just uh, you know five rules away from when well it's your birthday time to die yeah uh, and, and yeah. so uh, he, he's having this like sort of fever dream of this place in the cider house and the apple cider and his younger time. And then like he sort of gets called out of his dream mm-hmm. and he, he tries to ignore it. But then who do we have? But the man in black, the man in black lives, <laughs> except that this is like a more like almost Neo post man in black, man in black. Yeah. Because he's, got like roses worn through his face he's like sort of ethereal mm-hmm. his hands have no creases in them yeah. as though he has just been birthed yeah he alludes to the fact that even though poison gas is going to be issued from the area that he could survive mm-hmm. but that the tiktok man couldn't he kind of goes on this like interesting rant and hopefully rachel you know all the names because I don't remember them all, but yeah. he names off, you know, everything from like Merlin to the ageless stranger to yeah. uh, the magician. And some of these, I assume are referencing tarot cards, but some of them are also referencing like uh, alternate Stephen King bits. And mm-hmm. so, so I want to, I want to like underline that uh, Stephen King bits a few times, because we know that the stand is there is a is direct the reference to the stand here yep. exactly mm-hmm. and, and, but before i get to that like there's this interaction between them and like the tiktok man both has like the fear of his life that he is seeing this you know almost demon-esque character in front of him right and this like almost rejoiceful like my god there you are yeah uh thing that's happening at the same time and meanwhile the man in black who is now uh what was he referring to himself as richard like roger F- richard fan fannin R- richard fannin so he finally settles on like just call me richard you know richard fannin oh hey you know mm-hmm. and like and like he's like oh is that uh fly buzzing around your head causing you problems with that little flap of skin there let me just rip that clean off and there's almost like a moment of like sort of caring <laughs> And not caring at the same yeah. time, like cruelty caring. Yeah. Where, 
where like you're torturing your victim into loving you. Yeah. He rips it clear and like the TikTok man almost like sort of rejoices a little bit in the pain and then the relief of the lesser pain of his like skull flesh being yeah yanked off of his face and as they're like gazing at each other sort of weird and and transfixed he's like you know um i had a really good friend of mine that we we did a lot together and we were really close he ended up betraying me but i still really have a special spot for him and he used to say something uh like my life for you and and like the tiktok man like goes into the craze of my life for you, my life for you, like starts just like falling into a chant almost to the point where like uh, the TikTok man uh, gets whacked by uh, Fannin for, uh, you know, like snap out of it. Yeah. It's like, that's cool. I really enjoy that you're doing that, but uh, now we need to move on because yeah, we're done uh, with we got to find some mess. <laughs> yeah. you know, well, I get that you're loyal now. Great. Okay. Let's, uh, let's find some stuff. And like, that's it is, is basically the, the man in black mm-hmm. and the TikTok man. And I think um, the TikTok man, like as he reverts to, a servant instead of being the master of a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Stephen King even goes from calling him the TikTok man to actually like referencing Andrew Quick. his yeah his name yeah mm-hmm. and like so that naming takes you from at least for me I felt like it took you from being oh yeah it, if you're named some like fictitious thing. It takes you from being a person to being kind of a legend, I guess, or uh-huh. uh, um, something more ethereal. But when you are brought back from something like the TikTok man to your actual Andrew Quick name, right. like that takes you from being a a thing to fear to being like a subservient or just a, a regular person. Yeah, and it was interesting when Stephen King did that because that was basically like showing in one simple change of status yeah the man in black's complete control and power take and the complete relinquishment of the tiktok man yeah as a whole Mm -hmm. to the man in black yep and and, yeah i just that was that was pretty important to me and then yeah i mean that's it we we basically just like minutes still counting down uh holy crap the man in black is around the tiktok man is living uh what are they gonna do next and like um the the man in black also like alludes to a bunch of random stuff that we don't really know until he says it out loud yeah which is basically like just dumping old plot on us uh, with like uh, you know, like a where the progression has gone of Roland and the gang, and like yeah. they shouldn't have gotten this far, mm-hmm. and like Blaine should have taken care of him because he was an ally at one point, and like a lot of a lot of interesting tidbits in that last little like Man in Black dub. Yeah, I the thing is, is I, on one hand, I'm like, oh, my theory of the drums is dead, but now I'm like, my theory of the drums lives. <laughs> The man in well, black is kicking around blood and he does no blame. <laughs> well, especially so when you think about it from the perspective of the TikTok man explaining like what they could actually control in the technology. Uh-huh. 
And it was basically like someone could wander over and push a button and get the loudspeakers to turn on. Yep, that was it. And then, like, we find out that Blaine is completely capable of doing whatever he wants when he feels like it. Mm -hmm. So then the impression I got from that is that Blaine purposely, like, left a broken bit of track on there. On purpose to drive the chaos about the city Mm -hmm. and knew for a fact that, like, those guys were incapable of understanding anything more than hitting the play button on the the system. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Which is just, whoa. (laughs) So, I mean, this is actually an interesting little section because we get little hints of things, you know? We when you were talking about how he lists all the names that he's been known by, he lists names that both that are his names, but also names that people called him or think he was, but he wasn't. And it's, it's interesting to see the ways that he uses his reputation to make his legend even bigger and more mysterious mm-hmm. by letting people assume that he's that person and, and perpetuate like misinformation. Them. Yeah, yep. exactly. And so, and I think that's true both in the world of the books, but also as someone who's like trying to understand these characters and trying to understand the multiverse, it adds complications when you're trying to figure out like, who is Randall flag? Who is the man in black? Who is, Walter O'Dim, especially when we get into the backstories, when we get into Marilyn and Merlin, he, both King and the Man in Black, both let you kind of leave gray areas as to who the Man in Black is, um, so that his legend is not easily defined, which is which is interesting and frustrating and cool all at the same time. The other thing is, is you kind of alluded to this, like when he goes through this sort of ritual with Andrew, I guess he like at first Andrew's like cringing away from him, and then as soon as he touches him, he like falls under his thrall and it's almost as if like the last part of this process of making him one of like belong basically belong to him is to get him to accept it and say the name say the words my life for yours mm-hmm. and it calls back to the recruitment obviously this is our connection to the tv king universe that randall flag does with the trash can man in the stand and that's who he's oh, specifically yeah. referencing i'm not gonna spoil the stand for you but you know what specifically plot points he's referring to in the stand and a lot of times these references are much more elusive, like a little bit more subtle. Where I don't know that anybody's ever like specifically listed plot points like that. So that was that was a fun moment. And finally, with the naming, with the changing of the name, like I think you're absolutely right on by taking him from the name he given gave himself back to the name that was given to him. It removes a bunch of his agency, and at the same time. He takes the TikTok man's necklace and watch, which are the two physical embodiments of the, like the TikTok man, right? Those things symbol symbolized him as the leader. It symbolized his reputation. And he just very deftly removes those. Definitely. Every once in a while, something will happen in these books that is so perfectly cinematic that you're, you can, you can see it on in your mind, like perfectly. And this whole section, I think is one of those perfect little moments. This was like some Shawshank Redemption type stuff where it's just like, whoa, yeah, whoa. I mean, not in the, the same light, obviously, but like more in the, the bad guy portion of that. Well, Stephen then... King likes to signpost his twists and undercut them. And he did a little bit in saying like, oh, Roland would have known what the skin flap meant. But I did not see this coming. Like the twist was totally effective. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it really, uh, I mean, I knew that the TikTok man like lived on 
Yeah. But I just didn't remember it being so dramatic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm into it. I'm glad because I didn't want to squander such a good villain. I feel like there's still mm-hmm. some legs on this villain. So I- I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens with him next. So that's it for this section. I, that's it. Yeah. What did you think overall? I, I actually liked it. The The problem I have is, and I apologize to the listeners out there, is going through such a action-packed section it makes it very hard to make sure that I succinctly touch every portion eh, of the section. So you got the important I, parts. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy action sections a lot. However, they're a bit harder to describe. They're a little harder to recap. I got you. I got you. And, and then, like, I you get caught up by like really weird details <laughs> that you yeah. really want to talk about. Yeah, but they're not that important. They're just like that thing that you're like, "Ooh, what about this?" I think that's fine. I mean, because everybody has that experience when they're reading it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, but overall, I enjoyed it. This is one of my m- more more liked chapters, especially with like the weird visualizations. Yeah. And then like the apple cider press and the people press, and then me thinking about the the lud before it was completely evil mm-hmm. and the lud after it's completely evil. And those two pictures side by side and then the man in black to show up is like the perfect juxtaposition of old worldly and new worldly and the man in black like on their trail the whole time to slowly push them over the edge. Yes, right? Like they they, they have not left that very big problem in their past. It is still very present. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, Mm. I loved this section. I, I mean... I loved all the action. I'm so relieved that Oi is okay. We don't get a ton of gunslinger action in these books, but when it happens, it's very exciting. And when you get to see Roland in action, it's very exciting. And getting to see Jake kind of embody his gunslinger role was great. And I loved all the action. It's not, for you, it's hard to recap. For me, it's hard to find nuance to really like dig into, which is why I thought this section was a perfect blending of both those. Because the later sections, we get into these great character moments with like Roland versus Blaine, but also these really sweet interactions between Roland and Jake, and as well as uh, with the whole content where we like really see them come together truly as a family unit for the first time. That's huge. Uh, and then also really cool mythology and world building. Are you kidding me? This is like the perfect chapter. Plus, it harkens back to my very favorite villain, of course, from the first book, The Man in Black. The return of him, he lives. His introduction was perfect, like just spooky and quirky and weird and foreboding, all those things I want. So I was very excited to see his return. What a great way to cap off these sections. So yeah, mm-hmm. big, 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 big fan of this section of the book. I remember Lud being amazing. It, it did not let me down. It has been great. Same with D- Blaine. He's still creepy as hell, and I'm very excited to see where we go with him next. It's way darker than I remember. I, me too, but I am not mad at it. I love it. As like a horror fan, this is this is my jam. Um, okay, so speaking of what happens next, for the next sec- the next episode... We are going to finish the book. This is it, you guys. We're going to wrap up the Wastelands with a uh, discussion of Wastelands, book two, Lud, A Heap of Broken Images, chapter six, finally, Riddle and Wastelands, sections one through ten. So what, next time we're together, we are going to wrap this book up and then I think we go into Wizard and Glass. Ooh, Woo-hoo! Get real crazy. Oh, I, I'm 
I'm genuinely excited to get into Wizard Glass because I'm hoping it's going to have all of the backstory and questions that I need answered. So, <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, I don't have any Stephen King adaptation news, and so I guess that just leaves, like, if you guys want to get in touch with us, if you want to give us some constructive criticism, or you had some thoughts about this section, or whatever the case may be, please do drop us a line at castofcaughatzombiegirls.com, or visit us over on the Cast of Caught Facebook group. We'd love to see you over there, and if you like the show, or not, leave us a review on iTunes, and yeah, that's it. So, DJ... Where can they find you on the internet these days? Well, uh, right now I've been uh, um, uh, moonlighting on a uh, Etsy uh, page uh, labeled Muffin Spank. So, <laughs> what is that? Um, yours? You may see some. Uh, that's my Etsy. Yep, Muffin, <laughs> Muffin Spank. Spank. Oh my god, I'm gonna go favorite your store. And so then, uh, um, hopefully, in the next couple weeks, you'll see some uh, art there uh, for the Dark Tower series. And I'll post that on the Facebook page as well. Oh my God, um, I can't and wait. And th- there's no pressure to buy whatsoever. Uh, it's just um, kind of some fun stuff I'm working on, and uh, hopefully it turns out okay. Um, and then also, uh, the uh, Splattercast is back in session. So if you want to go to deadlander.com, you can hear myself and the rest of the gentlemen from the early days of the splatter cast back together we're not necessarily focusing on horror anymore we're just kind of hanging out and making each other listen to weird bands and so on but, uh, <laughs> that's fun <laughs> it's super fun uh we watched some earnest uh summer camp movies and so oh on my in the past God. And, and covered some other ra- random territory that uh would otherwise never have made it through the splatter cast so uh d- definitely uh fun to check out and that's about it um Otherwise, uh, if you want some really fancy tables, uh, also working on those. Uh, Rachel, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on the Zombie Girls, as always, as well as the Stream Kings podcast, the More Deadly podcast, and occasionally on the Here's Johnny podcast. I think I'm our the co-host. He was out six for a few weeks from COVID, has recovered. Ooh. He is doing great. He's back on the show, so I probably won't be on there again for a little while, but you can listen to back episodes there. Uh, I think our latest episode was on modern rape revenge movies. So if Ooh. that's your speed, go check it out. Um, yeah, avoiding. <laughs> oh, it's actually a good conversation. And the movies are good, believe it or not. But whatever. You, mm. take my, you don't have to take my word for it. Go listen to the podcast. All right. So I guess that is it for this episode. DJ, take us out. Thanks as always, guys, for listening to another uh, somewhat sporadically strange episode of the Casica, where we just randomly go all over the place with gunfights, battles, and so on, and come out on top with the man in black still winning every single time. Mercy, man in black. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Mm.